great. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Okay, sure. 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 Sure, yeah, sure. scary girl hi everybody hey everyone i'm stephanie and i'm sarah and this is dead Dead time stories a weekly podcast where sarah and i get together to talk about ghost stories true crime mysteries cults conspiracies the supernatural paranormal or even just the generally weird eerie spooky strange stuff that we want to talk about that week why is that sarah oh that's because it's our show. And whose isn't it? Not it's not yours. yours. That's what I said. That's and what if we this said. Is your first time listening to the show, stop. Go, go back, back to the beginning. Start from the beginning. Episode one, Grumble Thorked in my mouth a little bit and come back to the beginning. Everybody would tell you that that's what you should do. That's what everybody else is doing. Don't you want to be cool like everybody else? So stop and go back. It's very true, though. We recently got another five star review. Thank you so much. Love it. And, and they're all like, so glad start I started the from the beginning. Yeah. Told what you. I fucking say. And then hopefully in a few months they'll catch up and then they'll log into their other email account and, and they'll leave us another five-star review. Welcome back. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is it. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Stephanie. Woo! How you doing? Oh, girl. Good. Keep reminding myself it's a three-day work week. That's what you said. It's yes. a three-day work week. For you. Yes. Yes. For most okay. people. Okay. <laughs> my job's weird they're just like most people are taking pto that day well i'm like well i have my pto used up or saved up for what's left of the year yeah you know like it, it is what it all is. work so but i mean it's gonna be pretty chill yeah it's gonna be real. It's yeah it's chill. not like we work in retail Girl. right yeah 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 i yeah, paid yeah. my dues i did it. i paid my dues yeah it's to me it's just another friday oh. it's a it's a lazy friday i don't go shopping we're traveling Fr- and we don't do black friday anymore because no. we lived that life and no. we don't want to encourage the capitalist pig dogs not to keep it. doing that <laughs> shop small shop local this year so yeah, shop small, shop, shop local. local. You know how you can avoid all of the supply chain shortage issues everyone keeps fucking talking about? Shop small, shop local. I, you know, like, you know, buy art from people. Buy art from cool people that you know to give to other cool people that you know. Yep. Buy art. You Happy can, holidays. I mean, you can buy anything. I follow this uh, person who has a reusable truck who sells a whole bunch of really good reusable goods. Ooh. I'd be happy to get stuff like that. There's so many options out there. So in your own neighborhood. Some updates on Snatcherella. Oh, there we go. Switching tracks. So we're coming up on, you know, Thanksgiving, which we're not talking about anything about it this year on the show. That's true. We're glossing right over this there holiday. Is no Snatcherella this week, but no. guess what? I won last week. She fucking won. I won. Now, I didn't win the whole competition. Somebody asked me that when I was like, I won. They were like, you won the whole. I was like, no, there's still three more weeks, not including this week right now, the holiday week. There's no show this week, but there are three shows left of Snatcherella. Next week is the Dueling Divas Grand Prix. It's an all lip sync challenge situation. I am terrified because that's not really what I do, but like, here we go. Kill it. Smash it. Snatch it. Snatch it. Um, and then the following week is the reunion realness. Love and then it. the week after that is the finale. But last week, last week was the mystery week, right? Where the runway was executive realness. I backhanded Sarah as part of my runway. I got a perfect score on my runway oh, <laughs> from good. all the judges. I got yeah, a perfect she hit score the shit out of me. From y'all. every judge on on runway, on my performance, and on my lip sync. On everything Yay. I did, I had a perfect score last oh. week. Perfect. So proud. But the surprise mystery, bump, 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 It was Snatch Tank, which is Shark Tank, if you weren't aware. But it was Snatch Tank. And also, if you didn't know, as much as I hate capitalism, I've been binging Shark Tank for the past several weeks. I had no idea that there was preparation for this. But I was like, I've never watched Shark Tank, and I feel like I hear about stuff being on Shark Tank all the time. I'm going to watch this show. 
And I started it. You know, and the first season I was like, "Mm." so I skipped ahead to season three and picked up from there, and it's been pretty good. Um, But mind you, like I've, it's I know it now. I know how the pitches go. Yeah, you know the breakdown. I know the different sharks. I could tell you about. Rob Hershevik. I can tell you about Barb. I don't know her last name. That's okay. You're not on a last name Lori basis. Lori Grenier. There's Kevin O'Leary, who I call Larry O'Leary. Got it. Because he looks like a Larry, but his last name is O'Leary. It works. And I call him Larry, so now he's Larry O'Leary. He's, he's L.L. Bean name. over there. Then we have Damon John, the founder of FUBU. Got it. Then we have, uh, as they like to describe him in the credits, the outspoken owner of <laughs> the, the Mavericks. Mavericks. Yes. Mark Cuban. Yeah. So I'm familiar. I'm familiar with the Shark Tank. Now, she didn't pitch to those people. Though. I didn't pitch to those people, she but I was like, them. when they said it was Snatch Tank, I was like, cool. Am I going to have to embody one of those people? Because I'm ready. I was going to go for Larry. Got I was, it. Uh, he's easy. Yeah. Right? Larry O'Larry, because he's great TV. Yeah. You love to hate him. Nobody really likes to get deals from Larry, which, again, is Kevin. I call him Larry. Nobody really takes deals from Larry. He's just there because he's a jerk and he offers royalty deals, which are terrible. But they make you, like, love to hate him. Like, he's a good reason to watch. So I was like, okay, am I going to be impersonating Larry O'Larry today? Um, but, no, they gave you a random product. You had 30 seconds to evaluate your product, and then you had three minutes to do your pitch, and I that shit. had the what I call the scrub zaddy, which um, you know is better than the scrub daddy for multiple reasons, including that you could also masturbate with it if that was your thing. These are all true. I saw it. Sarah was there. It would, that happened. Then you had That's to spin a wheel to randomly pick a song that you were going to lip sync. Excuse me. And if you didn't like that song, you could spin a second time. But then you would have to take the second song. You couldn't go back to your first. And on my first spin, I got Don't Speak by No Doubt, a song I am It's like the competition was like rigged. That's how I felt, right? I really felt like like, I felt very blessed last week. I felt very blessed. So it was all your wheelhouse. It was all my wheelhouse. And I got a perfect score on everything. Couldn't be happier. Snatched it. Uh, So that was a big win for me last week. Super exciting. So now I am one of only two performers to have two wins under my belt. So I went into this competition very like, you know, very nervous just because I was working with like a lot of people who I know to be very talented and while I'm a strong performer, I was like, I'm not, you know, I'm pretty new to doing drag. But while I've come into this competition, like nervous and excited to be here, I've proven myself to be a very strong yeah. contender this season. Hell yeah. Uh, and that feels very, very good. So there are three. <laughs> so there are three chances left. Hopefully I will make it past the Dueling Divas Grand Prix, because if I do, then I'm definitely going to be in the finale. Put it out on the podcast. But no matter what, I'm true. in the next two weeks, at least. If not the finale, because I'm going to be in the the lip sync. And even if I go home next week, they'll have me back the following week for the fucking reunion. There you go. So she's booked for the next two weeks. I'm booked through the end of the year. Hashtag booked and blessed. (laughs) Come see Snatcherella. Uh, Not this week, but next week. It's a grand old time. It's going to be really, really awesome. And I can't wait. We're going to have a good time. Yeah, very much. And uh, I guess we should mention Thanksgiving is the day that this is coming out. Yes. Happy Thanksgiving. If you celebrate that. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. If you celebrate that. If not, I hope that you are getting to eat good food and have the day off from work. I love, while I don't love the origins of Thanksgiving, I love Thanksgiving. It's my favorite holiday because I like all the carbs. I love I like to eat a lot. I love holidays that celebrate eating. I think Thanksgiving and July 4th are are Mm, big up there. Like it's a holiday all about like you're just going to eat your fat American face off. (laughs) And that's awesome. And Thanksgiving, I'm like, I like the turkey, but I like the mashed potatoes. I like the macaroni and cheese. I like all the the bread, the stuffing. I don't care if it's stovetop. I don't care if it's homemade. Oh, the turkey looks great. All the stuffing. Thank you for loving me. Thank Thank you you for for being being there. Um, yeah. And also, of course, we're like, fuck Columbus and the pilgrims and colonization and like indigenous. You're on indigenous land. We're all on stolen fucking land. And that part sucks. But let's get together and eat our feelings. But I'm I'm grateful for the things that I have, for the hard work that I've been able to put in to get some of those things and um, and carbo loading. Hallelujah. Um, yeah, hallelujah. I'm excited. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? He's going to do it he on will. Thursday. Today. So, 
If you're not in America, that's okay too. I hope you will still eat and be thankful. Those are the that's how you can celebrate Thanksgiving, even if you're not American. Just and eat and be grateful for the shit that you have, and listen to our show because you're about to learn about some American bullshit. Oh, uh, I was like, speaking of, uh, hey Sarah, hey Stephanie, hey, hey Leslie, y'all, y'all ready, ready to, to talk, talk about, about some ghosts? ghosts? Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? So, speaking of American bullshit... I got some ghosts. Sarah, what are you talking about this week? Uh, Some ghosts of America's dark, dark, semi-recent past. Yeah, it is not very long ago at all. No. It happened in our lifetime. Absolutely. This is a very dark day in American history. This is not going to be a good, happy story for America's government. So, happy Thanksgiving! Let's talk about America fucking it up! Today, we're going to be talking about the siege at Waco, as some people know it, or the Waco massacre, or the bad things that happened at Dr. Pepper's house. (sighs) No. So, I was going to say... Waco, the home of Baylor University and Dr. Pepper. <laughs> also the site of an incredibly tragic event. Go um, for it. Tell me about it. So, yes, this is the story of the siege at Waco, the Waco massacre. Also, I think known as um, the siege at Mount Carmel. Started Carmel, on Fe- one of the many flavors you'll find in a delicious glass of Dr. Pepper. <laughs> That's why they called it that. It's built on the remains of an old Dr. Pepper plant. And they say that late at night, when it's a hot summer night, you can smell the caramel from all the Dr. Pepper spilled over the years, and that just seeps into the ground. Is that really why it's called No, that? it's named <laughs> after a Bible <laughs> reference. <laughs> Is there caramel in the Bible? No, I mean, there's a Mount the Carmel. Land of milk and honey, I guess. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't it's, know. I haven't read the Bible. It's described as a I mean, very similar to Waco, which is just sort of American. like a dry, desert, barren land. Mount Carmel. Sure. Um, but Waco is the home of you Dr. Had, Pepper. You convinced me that I believed it. Thank I believed you. it. All right. And, you know, at nighttime, well, you can smell <laughs> all the spilled Dr. Pepper. I you was, were like, oh, all right. I'm, with, I'm down with the cult so far. This is so the siege at Waco. Cults, talk, let's talk about Waco. Brought to you by Dr. Pepper. Here's our sponsor post. <laughs> this is going to be a long one, y'all. Um, I do want to preface this by saying this is going to be a Jonestown level of story. So I have been living in this for a while. So get ready. Yeah, I'm not. I'm just here to. This is part one of two. It's just all Sarah today of Waco. Let's do it. Started on February 28th, 1993. So, yes, in our lifetime at the Mount Carmel compound in Waco, Texas, what was expected to be a routine search and arrest warrant turned into a 51-day standoff that resulted in the deaths of 76 men, women, and children at the hands of the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. Period. That's right. You heard period. I, the w- end. I, I was like, how do I want to phrase this? This has been dead time story. A lot of this will be me telling the facts of history. History is history. And another part of this will be me telling you what I think happened along with what the official quote-unquote story is. Exactly. And you also have to think, as I was doing all my research on this, I'm reminded, most of what we take in, most of what we're watching is what they want us to see, is what they approve for us. Let me just get into a dim. I'm not going to go full conspiracy yet. Like, just hold on. I'm just. But it's what they want us to see. There is this phrase that I remember hearing from my U.S. history teacher in high school that at the time sounded kind of like, okay, cool, badass or whatever. And in hindsight, I'm just like, "Mm." which is that history is written by the winners. Yes. (laughs) And I remember in high school being like, like, yeah, like you win. You get to say what happened. Dope. As an adult, I'm like, you win. So you get to say what happened. That doesn't mean that's what happened. That means that the person who's left, because the other person is dead, (laughs) they get to be like, well, when I came in here, this is what I saw. That doesn't necessarily mean that's what happened. Who lives 
Who dies. Who, who tells, tells their story? story? The person who lives. The person who lives tells the story. That's how the spoiler that's how, alert. That's, that's what happened. So, I'm ready. Yes. I'm ready. This is 100% going to be a case of you get to write history as the winner. Um, so I'm going to be telling you my version, but this is also based in complete factual history. I'm ready. Let's go. Now, you may be asking yourself, as we just discussed, how, who lives, who dies, who tells their story? How did we get to this? You might be asking yourself, how did I get here? How did I find myself? You might say, this is not my beautiful wife. This is not my beautiful <laughs> house. How did I get here? How did, I get gone by? how did we get to a point where the U.S. government used military tactics and lethal forces on its own U.S. citizens? Because that's not supposed to happen. Also, this is several years after move where the police bombed a Philadelphia neighborhood. Yes. Where there were like resistance people, but also there were like innocent children, and children there. That children. And died. then they covered it up. Yep. The government. But we're talking about Waco today. Got to love it. To get to this answer, we've got to go back a bit. And we're going to go back a bit with the one and only David Koresh. Do it. I don't know if you've seen his mugshot. With his wonderful mullet and his beautiful big old 90s glasses. Sure. He's just a gem. Basically looks like every other white dude. Yeah, sure. Who? David Koresh and subsequently the Branch Davidians. That's the name of the cult. I should have gotten there sooner. They're called the Branch Davidians. Divide is right in their name. Ugh. Indians. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Little bit about David, though. David Koresh. He was born Vernon Wayne Howell. That's his born given name. August 17th, 1959 in Houston, Texas. His mother was 14 years old and single. For right now, until he legally changes his name, we're going to call him Vernon. Vernon Wayne Howell. Vernon didn't know his biological father. And that's because right after his dad got his mom pregnant, he ran off and got some other underage teenage girl pregnant. Other 14-year-old girl. And left with her and left his mom. He had a very rough childhood, as you can imagine, so far. His mom sent him to live with his grandmother when he was, I think, two years old while she was living with a very abusive alcoholic boyfriend. He lived with his grandmother until he was seven. When he was seven, his mom took him back after she had found a somewhat stable man and married him. Vernon always described his childhood as being lonely. He didn't do good in school because he was dyslexic. However, he was very bright. They talk about him being a child and reading the Bible, just like ingesting it almost, like sitting and reading for hours and hours and hours. I believe at one point I read that he memorized all of the New Testament. But he was dyslexic, so he didn't do well in a school setting, so they placed him in special classes, and he was bullied incessantly. Kids nicknamed him Vernie, and then the other one I've heard, we do not condone on this show, and it's awful, but they called him Mr. Retardo. He got bullied really bad. Because of the bullying and not doing well in school, he dropped out his junior year of high school. When he was 19... He got a 15-year-old girl pregnant. And at first, he was like, Apple don't fall far from the tree. I mean, break the cycle, Vernon. Break the cycle. He mm, he doesn't break the cycle. He does. He doesn't. Anyways, back to this. Ooh, he makes whole other cycles. I was like, he branches. <laughs> he branched he Davidians, Davidians off the cycle. That's what he does. Anyways, at first, he's like, oh, no, I got you pregnant. I don't think I'm into this. And then he goes away and apparently he prays on it and God comes to him and tells him, this woman is your chosen one. This is the beginning of like your spawn. And he had for a little bit been, quote unquote, having conversations with God or getting, you know, messages from God. So apparently he got this message saying she was the one. So he goes back to her and he's like, yo, God told me you were the one. So let's have this baby. And she says, ooh, I'm. 15. I got an abortion. Yeah, no. Back when you could do that in Texas. Sure. So that was unfortunate. So that relationship didn't last. They broke up. So Vernon goes and he joins his mother's church. His mother was part of the Seventh-day Adventists. So the Seventh-day Adventists is where we start with the religion and then we'll ultimately uh, branch 
to the Branch Davidians. Sure. So he starts in his mother's church, the Seventh-day Adventist. I didn't do a lot of research into them, so if I get things wrong, just shoot me an email. That's all. But they take the Bible very literally, and they're also very into revelations. Mm-hmm. But they take the Bible very literally. They They worship on Saturdays. That's the seventh day in their church. That's one thing that I know. Because they're really into the calendar. They're like, the calendar is God. And Ad it says ben Sunday's tis. the first day of the week. But while he's at his mom's church, he starts to get a liking for the preacher's daughter. And oh, God comes to him again. Wouldn't you know? Wouldn't you know it? He's like, I know I said last time. That that was the chosen that one. That was the chosen one. She said no, so we are going to what? listen. She chose not to be not with Not to go you. there. So according to Vernon, one night while he was praying, he opened his eyes and allegedly found the Bible open to Isaiah 34, 16, which states, none should want for her mate. Convinced that this was a sign from God that he was meant to marry the pastor's daughter, he went and approached the pastor and said, yo, God told me your daughter's supposed to be my wife. Aren't you so excited? I also want to preface the entirety of this story will be taking place in Texas. So this dad with his, I want to say she was... 15 again, like and very he's young. Preacher and he was like, he's a preacher. And God he's like, came to you. Sounds to legit. You? Nope. He went, uh-uh, you ain't touching my daughter. Oh, he did. Get the fuck out. And he kicked he's him like, out of the get church. Those nuts away from my face. I just imagine he's got the shotgun and he's like, not my daughter. Right. And kicks I, Vernon out of the church. I just imagine he's Latrice Royale. Vernon. <laughs> Try more like Jeffrey Dahmer. That's what sure, he kind of yeah, looks no, like. Yeah. No, 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 no. The preacher. Oh, <laughs> the preacher is like, that works. Yeah. The preacher is Latrice Royale. That tracks. 1981, Vernon made his way down to Waco and joined the group known as the Branch Davidians. Oh, he didn't form them. He did not form them. I thought I take that, it that for that the is longest a common, time. A mistake. Well, for me, for the I was like, oh, David Koresh, the Branch Davidians, duh. Jimmy Jr., Jonestown, Jim Jones, duh. This makes sense. No. 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 You would be mistaken. You would be wrong. The Davidians have been around since 1955, and the Davidians themselves are also a branch. The Branch Davidians. From... A different group that branched off from the seventh day. So one group branched off from the seventh day, and it was like the seventh branches. I feel like are already a branch of something else. I know. So this They're tree like goes a far. Mennonites. Then you get to this other one. I didn't even write it down because it's a long, convoluted name, and I'm not getting into that history because we are talking about Waco. So and this then is far along on the family tree. In 1955, this guy named Benjamin rode and broke away from the first sect. And that's basically because the guy who founded the first sect, he died. He left his wife in charge. His wife said, the world's going to end on this day. Everyone show up here. And all of this, yeah, everyone show up here. Everyone showed up. The world didn't end. So they were all like, fuck this. This guy, Benjamin, rode and said, don't worry, guys. Got you. I'm the new Messiah. We're going, and we're calling ourselves the Branch Davidians. And was all of this in America? Yes. Because <laughs> that's the most American Christian shit I've ever heard in my life. Actually, um, no. Actually, um, I'm no. the new Messiah, and God told, there are these golden plates, and he put them in my backyard, oh, well, and he told me not to show them to anybody, but they're real, and he said that, like, I can marry seven women, and we're girl. all going to go to space when we die. Follow me. Girl, that's basically what's about to happen. That's every American sect of Christianity. Always. 1955, when Benjamin Roden is the one who separated. Oh, he separated. The original name was the Davidian Seventh-day Adventist Church. It was just a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) Benjamin Roden, however, he died. He's like, I'm the new Messiah, and guess what? We are rebranding. We are (laughs) rebranding. Number one. Ben Roden died in 1978. It's first on the docket. <laughs> yeah. He's out in 1978, and the leadership of the Davidians went to his wife. Okay. Lois Roden. Okay. Now, Lois and Benjamin had a son named George. 
George wanted to take over as Messiah leader sure. of the cult. But Lois didn't really think that he was Messiah material. So she didn't want to hand it over to George. Sure. Bum, ba, da, da, bum, 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 bum. Enters Vernon Wayne Howell with a mullet and a, a, a I don't know, a, and a fancy new name. Not yet. Not yet. No, he, he pops in young, fresh off the. Fresh, I don't even know where I'm going with this. He can play guitar too. He's a rock star. Okay. He comes in and he's like, yo, Lois. They're like, look at this fresh kid with glasses and a haircut. Lois, what's up? And he comes in and he joins the group in 1981 looking for something else. Sure. Another group. How everybody it. joins the cult, right? This They're new all group, like, you know, for something else Lois is saying that she's like the Messiah. And I think for them to a degree, like the Messiah is like a prophet. Yeah. And so Lois is like, I'm the one I can be the one to speak to you. But I'm looking for two degree. I'm looking for the next Messiah. He heads out there. Um, and he's just a regular member. He helps out with the cult. He plays music in the band. And up until the end, he played music in a band that was one way that he went out and him and his Davidians had a rock band and they would go out and they would play music at the local bars and he would drink beer and then he'd talk to people and he'd be like so listen I'm I'm the messiah and like this is what's gonna happen he's like you thought that was cool guess what (laughs) guess what actually hey I'm the prophet that's it and he got people It worked. He's like, you heard of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat? It's just like that. I am David. It's just like that. And the amazing. I had this really fingers. cool coat. My brothers coveted it. They ran me off. I got a bunch of wives. We're like, getting we're ahead. Getting, we're getting we're ahead of the story. We're not getting into all that right now. But we're getting ahead. you should come down to our house. There we go. So David comes in. He starts helping out. And he starts uh, shacking up with Lois Roden. Who is in her late 60s. I was just saying, how old is Lois at this point? Almost 70. And how old is he? 20. Love it. He comes in. He's like, Lois. Yo. She's like, (laughs) ask and ye shall receive. So God talked to me. Again, God talked to me. He told me he to told eat me that, that you dusty were the ass puss girl. He sure did. And uh, there were rumors around that David told that Vernon told Lois that God told him that he was to get her pregnant. So he's like, let's get started, girl. Let's try. But he also later in another interview that he gave, someone asked him about that, about the rumor that he got Lois pregnant. And he, like an asshole, was like, if I can get a 70-year-old woman pregnant, then I am God. And everyone was like, whoa. But he's just a smart ass. I'm like, calm, calm down, God. So in 1983, Vernon starts saying that he has the gift of prophecy. Sure. And God is telling him that he's the next Messiah. Well, you know, it's kind of like an STD. Like, it's spread. Yeah, like so he she, got it she from She had Lois. the prophecy, and then he got the prophecy from He tested from prophecy positive. So now he's got it. So Lois lets Vernon start teaching Bible studies as a way to begin his transition and to feel him out as a new leader, new Messiah. But let's not forget... George, still George, still around, does not like this. Yeah, no, at all. At some point in this, Vernon gets a calling from God that he needs to take a wife. God instructed him to marry Rachel Jones, daughter of cult members at the compound. Rachel's parents are on board. How old is Rachel? I also want it to be noted that at this time, it was the legal age. If the parents gave consent, and the parents gave consent. And that was how old? I believe she was 14. And now that age has been changed to 12. (laughs) (laughs) No! (laughs) You can't get an abortion, but you can get married at 12. At 12. If your parents parents signed off on it. I'm pretty sure now it's 16. (laughs) Sure. If your parents sign off on it. Anyways, Vernon marries 14-year-old Rachel Jones. Again, I will point this out throughout this story. I'm not going to condone what he does. Just because it's legal doesn't break you right. And yes. there's plenty of other stuff that he does that is not legal anyway. So. Well, there are, yes, there are things that he does that are not legal, but what they but come in. But a 14-year-old with her parents' permission. Was legal. Not one of them. Not one of them. Not one of and the legal things. The re- we'll get to it, but the reasons listed in the affidavit, not really illegal. Sure. There are causes that they were saying, not Really illegal. Anyway, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. 
So George was still pissy about Vernon wanting to take over, and Vernon is gaining a following within the cult of people being like, oh, I would so much rather hang out with Vernon than George. Sure. And some shit hits the fan, and George kicks Vernon and his followers out of the compound. So for two years, they retreat, and they go stay Wandering in- the desert. They stay in Palestine, where they will set up camp, and they live for two years without electricity or running like water. Like the country or like Palestine, Texas? <laughs> so it's Palestine, Texas- but in they pronounce yes! it Palestine in Texas, but it's spelled Palestine, Palestine. Texas. Yes. And it's a real place. I know this because there is a train, Woo! like an old classic train that goes through there that used to like you get on the train, you ride it down to another area, you take it, you have a picnic, then you get back on the train and you ride it back. And when I was Palestine. little, my brother was into trains. And so one year we did that for his birthday and it was to Palestine. I'm confused on how to say it now. I've looked at it so many times. Anyways, that's where they go for two years. In 1986, Lois Roden dies, and Vernon sees his chance to come back. But George has other plans. George challenges Vernon to what I'm going to call it a messiah off. Who's going to be your next messiah? Blah, 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 blah. In one corner, it's we the have- miracle battle of the century. That's exactly it. George comes in, and he goes, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a miracle off. I'm going to get a dead body. <laughs> and the first one of us to that can resurrect his body is the next messiah, messiah and can have the cult. I love it. That's exactly what he they said. They meet in the abandoned pool, just like in Pitch Perfect. Sawyer was one of the extras. No. This bitch, George, goes and digs up a dead member from the cult who's been buried in the coffin and just brings the coffin up into the cotton, like sure. one of the main rooms in the compound and just has the coffin there. So Vernon is like, okay, dope. Yeah, you're on. And then he runs and he snitches to the cops. And he's like, yo, they're digging up and desecrating corpses <laughs> over there. <laughs> you really should go check these guys out. This shit is crazy. That can't be legal. <laughs> I shit you not. He's like, yeah, yeah, cool, bet. Yeah, cool, bet. Um, this um, guy's so fucking crazy. He's over here talking about having a miracle Excuse off, me, officer? Bringing people back from the dead. I'm, like, I can show you, and they had pictures He's of the coffin. He's just mad I fucked his mom. It's so, but like, you know, you get it. You fuck you a mom. You get it. You fucked a mom in your day. You look like the type. <laughs> and the officer's like, you're right. You're yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, you're right. I fucked you're right. I fucked your mom. I fucked some moms. Um... <laughs> No, he has pictures of the coffin. He takes you to the cops and he's like, yo, desecration of a corpse. You really should go check this out. I'll and the officers go, that's a real cute coffin, bro. But we can't do anything until we have hard evidence that there is a body in there. And there's a body He's like, there. this is an episode of Coffin Flop. I didn't <laughs> see anybody fall out of that coffin. They're like, hold on, let us walk around with it a little bit more. We'll see. We're sorry, she's going to be naked, but... <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. So the cops yo, are like, we yo, can't Google coffin flop. You'll think me later. Coffin <laughs> think flop. me later. I'm like crying just thinking about it. I gotta get back on track. That's Vernon and George and the miracle off. So he's like, hey cops. He's like he dug up this dead body. No, anyway, so they say we need a Prove corpse. Right, so Vernon's like coffin. Bet. So him and seven of his followers decide to break into Mount Carmel in the middle of the night. Each one and for a day of the Adventist. <laughs> that would have been eight of them, so they would have overlapped. Anyways, they go in, and I guess they're just like, we're going to snap a quick picture of the body. <laughs> like, do y'all want to see a dead body? Okay, I know where we can find one. So they break in. But again, let's remember, this is Texas in the 80s, so all of them were packing heat. Every single one of them was armed. I feel and like they all had a pocket full of cocaine. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because they were Branch Davidians. They did not do drugs. David Koresh occasionally partook in a beer, but otherwise they did have a very strict dietary like regimen. Anyways, they go in. They're all carrying guns. They get caught. A gunfight ensues. Immediately. <laughs> they start shooting. George gets shot and goes and hides behind a tree. The cops show up and they're like, Who's over there? <laughs> and he's like, it's me. So his all of his followers saw that he went and cowered in fear. So any of really of his followers who were left went They're over to Vernon's like, side. You little bitch. You little what bitch. What are you afraid of getting shot by the cops? Exactly. Aren't you, Aren't you white? The Messiah? So 
George's followers saw he handled things. We're all effectively won over to Vernon's side. Small hiccup, though. Vernon was taken to court and charged with attempted murder. However, because of the circus that was this trial, it ended in a mistrial and Vernon walked free. Sure. Circus including, but not limited to, Vernon's followers trying to wheel the casket into the courtroom as a piece of evidence. (laughs) Yes. And the judge was like, stop no. that stop that no i not have that stop that and was like no you can't you can't you can't like, bring it in here wheeling that fucking corpse in here you're not bringing it here that along with george's testimony being like of course i dug up this corpse it's because we have to have hello religious freedom america kind heard of, of it that's what he was that was him argue. and he was like real defensive about it and apparently he was just using foul language with everyone and they were like you sir He's are like, not like you a bitch you a bitch <laughs> you, was, you suck your my nuts. honor you a bitch i'm the messiah of course i dug that corpse up and i would do it again so they were like all right mistrial and vernon walked free in 1989 so just two years later George Roden murdered another cult member named Wayman Dale Adair with an axe to the skull after Wayman came to him and said, you know what? I think God spoke to me and I think I'm the next Messiah. And George just lost he it. He was like, Messiah, my nuts. He was like, I can't, there cannot be another one. And he, he murdered this snapped. man. He snapped. And he's like, I got enough fucking trouble. With this with goddamn Vernon, who fuck did you fuck my mom too? You fuck my mom too. Is that what just makes you the Messiah? Everybody who fucked my mom is the Messiah now. That's what they quoted him as when they found him standing over the body screaming at it. He was like, Did you fuck my mom too? Did you fuck my mom? <laughs> Seeing over the body going, Did you fuck my mom? This is awful. I'm so sorry. A man died. A lot of a lot of a people lot of died. people are Maybe going to die. Them. George was declared insane and sentenced to a mental facility in Big Springs, Texas for life. He got off light. He's gone. George, however, had thousands of dollars in unpaid back taxes on the Mount Carmel property. Whoops. So Vernon and his followers raised the money and they bought, bought back Mount Carmel. Yep. Upon their return to the property, however, they found in one of the buildings. So the property originally was a whole bunch of different little houses where people lived. Yeah, yeah, like when a compound. Vernon and them came on. If you've, I know you've seen the pictures. Everyone's seen the pictures of it on fire. At least it was a one big building with like maybe another smaller building in the back, and sure. that's what they turned the compound into. So they ended up tearing down all those buildings, using all of the plywood and materials from those buildings to create the bigger compound that it became. So while they were going through all of these buildings, they discovered a meth lab. Oh. And so they Vernon was like, we're calling the cops. Legal. We're calling the cops. Hey, found a meth lab. We just came in. It's not ours. You should probably come get it out of here. We need to tear this down and make a home. When do you think you could be here? You said half an hour, two hours ago. The window is dipped. Like, yep. Yeah. So the cops came out. It's like a fucking cable guy. They got the meth. says between 11 and 3. And it just took forever. I've been here all fucking day waiting on this guy to come pick up this meth. So some people might be asking, Sarah, you've been talking for a while about this, but we all know one of the big weird things that was happening was the sex stuff. There's always sex stuff. There's always sex stuff in a cult. All right. So 1989, the odd sex stuff really begins to start. Ain't that... What? I was trying to think if Reagan was still in office at that time. I was like, you know, Reagan was in office, so people were like fucking wild. But then I was like, was what Clinton. year did Bush get elected? Was that it was Clinton was ninety two? Oh yeah, I think it was Bush eighty eight to ninety two. Yeah. <laughs> people still going crazy. So nineteen eighty nine. Now the Davidians, as their branch believe in the end times as described in the book of Revelation. Sure. And specifically in what is known as the seven seals. I didn't get fully into all the seven seals. I can't wrap my head around it. I'm not going to take the time to do that. One part of the end times, however, is apparently that there will be a group of holy people, chosen people. I don't know. But a certain group of people who set aside to judge the rest of us. Yeah, sure. 
So the holier than thou. Yeah, like Simon Cowell will be one of them. Yeah, Paul Abdul will be up there. Um, but a group that will judge the entirety of the world. And this group is supposed to be made up of 25 children, apparently, from the Messiah. So Vernon was like, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm the Messiah. So I guess I got to have 25, 25 kids. Children. But I can't have all these kids from the same woman. Well, duh. Duh. So I got to have at least 25 women to have my 25 children. You know what's crazy? I got a whole group right here. I've got women You get a here. baby. You get a baby. You get to be my wife. And you get to be my wife. My and wife. You get to be my, my wife. wife. My wife. My so, wife. around this point is when he starts preaching about this and begins to have all the cult members basically hold to a rule of celibacy. And only he was allowed to have sex. And he could have sex with any of the women in the group. Now, apparently he would have, God would sort of tell him when a woman was chosen and he would take her and she would be his wife. And just all of the husbands in the cult were like, okay, Vernon, yeah, I whatever guess. you, I mean, I, I get, so I don't get to do, Yeah, you're can the I watch? No. All right. Yeah. I guess you're the mess. Can you tell God I said, is it going to put in good work? You don't. Okay. All right. Yep. So he starts fucking all the women. What became sketchy is, again, this is Texas. So in his eyes, with the consent, if the consent was given from the parents. Yeah, of course. It is told that he was having sex with girls as young as 14. It was rumored by one person who called in a tip we'll get to later that the youngest was 12 years old. That was never corroborated by the survivors. Who knows? But there was weird sex stuff going on. And these girls, no matter what the law is, that is way too young. Period. Yeah. Moving on. 1990. Vernon Wayne Howell officially and legally changes his name to David Koresh. Why David Koresh, you might ask? Vernon Wayne Howell is a perfect cult leader name. It really is, It's though. great. Because, apparently, Koresh is the biblical name of Cyrus the Great, a Persian king who is named a messiah for freeing Jews during the Babylonian captivity. And his first name, David, is in honor to the biblical King David. Sure. So he was like, this makes me Messiah, Messiah. Like, my name is Bible Mick Prophet. Mick Jesus man. He's just basically being like, <laughs> I'm I'm the Messiah. It's Jewish. Squared. Like there's two. I know it sounds Irish, but. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm the Messiah. I, I would think that I would know. So the Branch Davidians were. Like, I decided. Yeah. The Branch Davidians were more or less regular, quiet, productive members of society in Waco. Honestly, the sheriff got along with them just fine. And throughout the whole siege and standoff, yeah, that's he how was the like, Rajneeshis were when they were in fucking Oregon. He was like, this, everyone's fine. And like, no one had any issues with them. They made money by buying and selling guns and firearms. Sure. Legally. Very American. Now, this will come back into play very soon. But they were going to these gun shows and selling well, guns at gun shows. Yeah, was, that's what I was going to say with the, with the gun show loophole. That's my favorite. Yeah. Is that like, with what is it? You don't need a... You don't, you don't need to do the weight. Yeah, you don't you need to do the You can buy it right there. there happens to be a gun show. Yeah. So it's like, you know, well, you know, there's a wait list if you want to buy this right now. But what do you know? Right out back right now, there's a gun show going on. Yep. That's kind of the joke with the with the gun show um, for yeah. you non-Americans. Yeah, that's how. Oh, gosh, that's how it is buying a gun. So, yeah, there's supposed to be a wait list in a lot of places. You should have to do a check. Right. Because you got to do a background check. But, but if, if you're there at happens a gun to be show, a gun show going on, you can just buy it. at the Because you it's, can buy you know, it at the gun time. Show. You can only buy it right now at the gun show. Yeah. But the joke is that like, there's always a gun show going on. As like, <laughs> you know, if you follow this crafty artist on Etsy. And you order their things online, you're probably going to have to wait like a few days for it to ship to you. But if they're doing a crafts a market, <laughs> then you go and you can buy it right then. It's kind of like that, kind except like it's with guns, things that can kill people. Exactly. It's with guns. Anyways, but it's all incredibly legal. They also had a show. They had a, a store. They had a storefront. But they would go to gun shows. They had a small gun store in Waco. 
And this is where we begin to see the ATF find their way to get involved. Sure. The ATF stands for Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms. Here we go. In 1992, two things happened to put this in motion. A man named Mark Bro, a former member, began calling in tips to the ATF and police departments. He claimed that they were abusing children and they were stockpiling weapons to then use in a fight against the government in an end times apocalyptic cult. Sure. That's the way they were really framed. That's the way the media portrayed them was as an apocalyptic cult that was stockpiling weapons but to then fight the government. But they were told that by somebody who was formerly from the cult, right? That's what you said. The tip so, was from... So, Mark Bro was in the cult when David Koresh started preaching, I'm going to take your wife and I'm going to take your wife. Mark Bro's wife said, oh, I don't know if I fully love this. And so David said, cool. She was from Australia and her visa was up. And so David was like, dope. You can go back to Australia. We have a branch. They had a branch in Australia. Sure. Like a small sect in Australia. And then he did, according to Mark, Mark did something that make made David mad when they were out traveling to prophesize in California. And David was like, you go back to Waco and I'm going to have a talk with you when we get back. And so Mark was like, dope. And he just went to Australia. So he ran away from the cult. And then he was mad at David. And a lot of people argue that he did this in retaliation that he did this just out of spite because we'll get into it a little bit later, but when he was calling in the tips about the children in 1992, someone was sent out and she came out and she visited twice and she talked with the kids and she said, there are no signs of sexual abuse. There's no signs of physical abuse. They're shy because they're all fucking homeschooled, but they don't seem to be abused. Mm. What, was talked about openly with the parents as they spanked them. They spanked their kids. Now, is that, as we look at it now, abuse? I think people would categorize it as such. But at the time... Today, right. Today, at the time, but at very... the time, it was... That's how you... That's, what that's you how you disciplined your child. That's how you taught them right from wrong. I got spanked. I Do got I think spanked. it's I good? No. Yeah. But that's what they did. They're not beating Just the on shit. Them. Now I'm kind of into it. <laughs> <laughs> See, sorry. Sorry. Sorry um, about it. Didn't teach me nothing. And then later when the children are taken out of the compound and placed with foster families during the siege, they also say, I read reports saying we don't show any signs of like these kids being maladjusted. These sure. kids being weird. Like, honestly, they're not even that weird. They seem fine. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people argue that Mark Bro called in just to stir the pot. Also, he's in fucking Australia. And this he starts calling things in, I want to say, three or four years after he left. Mm. Take it as you will. He starts calling that in. And a USPS driver made a claim that he thought he had been delivering explosives to the compound. His story was that one day while he was driving, one of the boxes fell over. Some contents spilled out when he went to pick it up. <gasps> it's a grenade. Now, it was an empty casing of a grenade. It didn't have anything inside of sure. it, which that's legal. Mm-hmm. The other big thing that happened that had nothing directly to do with Waco, but because this happened, Waco was handled differently was the standoff at Ruby Ridge. I don't know if you know anything about that story. I know the very minimum basics, and I had never heard of it until I started researching Waco. But Ruby Ridge is kind of like a mini Waco before Waco. Mm -hmm. To really understand why the ATF approached the Branch Davidians the way they did, we need to know what happened just one year earlier in Idaho. Ruby Ridge was the site of an 11-day standoff in 1992 that started when Randy Weaver refused to surrender to an arrest warrant for failure to appear in court on firearms charges. There's a lot of bullshit to unpack with Ruby Ridge, so we're just going to do spark notes. Randy Weaver, not the best guy, white supremacist, lived in the middle of the woods because he didn't trust the government, homeschooled his kids, taught him white was the right way to go, part of the Aryan race. Or the Aryan, like, whatever they call themselves. However, 
Randy was basically set up by the ATF. Sure. They had a mole who posed as a member of the Aryan Brotherhood at one meeting, got Randy to sell him what he called an illegal sawed-off shotgun. Then they kept, so then they were like, cool, here's your court date. Then they kept changing his court date without telling him, so that he kept missing it. And when the ATF came to Randy's house in Idaho, he was prepared to not surrender to the government that he hated, feeling that he had been completely set up. During the setup on the property, U.S. Marshals ran into Weaver's friend Harris and his son. Guns were fired and Weaver's son Sammy was shot dead. So the Marshals were out setting up for the raid. They ran into his friend and his son. They shot, they shot and killed his son dead in the middle of the woods. The next day, Randy's wife, Vicky, would be shot by a sniper rifle while standing in the doorway to the home holding their infant. Damn. Randy stayed locked inside with the body of his wife for the remaining nine days of standoff before finally surrendering. So they fucking shot her, snipered her through the doorway while she's holding an infant. Doesn't what look. What happened to the baby? The baby was fine. The baby fell. But the baby lived. Doesn't look so good for the ATF. Right. Not too good at all. The entire situation was bad. So at Waco, they get there and they're like, all right, boys. We can't do this let's again. Let's not fuck this up. And then it goes sour. That's exactly what they proceed to do. 100%. There began to circulate questions of the ATF's funding being cut. This was serious. So when they got word that there might be a cult out in Waco, Texas, stockpiling guns, abusing children, having child brides, well, they thought, ooh. Here's a great way. This is our to time restore- to shine. <laughs> to restore faith in America. Right, to restore the public's faith in the work that we do. This is our time to win them back. It's our time. So they began to investigate, but they also weren't entirely quiet about investigating. So they started to put on newspaper articles. In July, the ATF agent named David Aguilera, which he's the one who created the uh the notes that they then made the affidavit off of, which got them the search warrant that led them to the front door that day. David Aguilera went to question the Davidians gun dealer, who also corroborated that any firearms purchased or sold via the Davidians were all done legally. The dealer even went and called David Koresh while the agents were there. And Koresh was like, oh, tell him to come on out. We'll show him around, give him a tour, help him alleviate any misunderstanding. And the agent was like, tell him we're not here. No, nah, we don't want to do that. So they didn't Making go the out. Making Chrissy Teigen face. Yeah, not good. The ATF even put undercover surveillance out, sent agents out to pose as college students who live nearby, except these men were all in their 30s. They drove new cars. They knew nothing about the college campus they were supposed to go to. <laughs> that Steve Buscemi meme. With That's the exactly it. Like, What's up, fellow like, kids? Yo, I'm a college kid, and they're like, "Why are you wearing a vest that says ATF?" <laughs> He's like, He's like "No, but my hat all the kids is are on wearing. backwards." <sighs> so dumb. He's like, "Yeah, ATF. I got this shirt at Spencer's. It's American Titty Feeler." And they're like, "That checks out." David Crush is like, "Can I get one?" So the Davidians knew they were agents. Like they immediately showed yeah. up and they were like, I think the story goes that the wives went over to bring them like baked goods, like you do. And they saw them and they were like, these ain't college they students. Were they were like, no, not working. But the Davidians welcomed them anyway. And one agent named Robert Rodriguez was assigned to get inside the compound, look around, find out where the weapons were, give them any more reason they could get to get in there and take them over and make themselves look good. Problem is, Rodriguez never found anything. There was no stockpile. He told them multiple times, there's no stock. And I think I didn't get the exact number, but I want to say there were 120 people in the compound and they had maybe like 200 guns. So honestly, it's not. And then once you talk to them, there were other interviews where they were talking about it. And they're like, it's our inventory. Like, we just have inventory. We're not stockpiling for anything. This is our inventory. We're selling these. Anyways, 
Multiple times he told the ATF that there was nothing there that was illegal. They weren't stockpiling weapons. They had a reasonable number considering that they were selling the guns. But the ATF didn't listen. This was their chance to make themselves look like heroes to the American public. So the ATF moves forward with getting their search and arrest warrants. They claimed the Davidians had violated federal law, citing the many firearms they had accumulated. They also made a claim that Koresh was possibly operating a methamphetamine lab to establish a drug nexus and obtain military assets. Obtain military assets is the main point here. Why would you feel like you needed to get military assets if you weren't expecting violence? That's also a point that people bring up. If they wanted to arrest Koresh, why didn't they do it while he was away from the compound? Why, when they knew that there were women and children there, would they go in expecting there to be guns ablazing? Why would they feel like they needed that? Just putting it out there. February 28th, 1993. The ATF planned to go to the compound, serve the warrant, and arrest Koresh. They piled 76 agents in cattle trailers and began the drive. So they put these guys in tactical SWAT team gear, piled them into cattle trailers, and they're like, we're going to go and peacefully serve this warrant. Sure, okay. But you remember how this was going to be a turning point for the ATF, for the public, a real press moment? Well, they had told the press of the siege. But I guess they didn't tell them the exact time because one guy from the press showed up an hour early and he's at the end of the long driveway to get to Mount Carmel. And he's like, oh, we're like looking around like, where do I go? And a USPS driver pulls up and he's like, hey, is this how I get to to Waco to Mount Carmel? And the UPS driver is like, yeah, what's going on? Well, that UPS, USPS driver, that postal worker, also happened to be a Branch Davidian. Of course. Also happened to be David Koresh's brother-in-law. So the press showed up an hour early and tipped off the Branch Davidians that today was the day they were coming in. So he speeds off down the lot to go and tell David. Sure. As the brother-in-law arrived, who else was sitting in the compound but Robert Rodriguez, the ATF agent? So the ATF sent him ahead. They were like, make sure they don't know that we're coming. Because one other little footnote on this siege is they were told if they lose their element of surprise, it's off. So they were told if they have any idea, if the Branch Davidians know that we're coming, we're supposed to pull back and not do this and do this another time. So they send Robert in, find out if that's going to happen. Robert's sitting down talking with David. Hey, how's it going? Good. How about that weather? The brother-in-law comes in, white as a ghost. Looks at Robert. Looks at David, pulls David into another room because they all know that Robert's a fucking agent. Pulls David in another room. Does They're Robert coming. think he's undercover? Yes. Okay. Until this moment. So when they're doing this, Robert's like, fuck, they know. David comes back out and he says, I know who you are. You need to go out there and you need to tell them that there are women and children in here and that they need to call it off. And he lets. Robert walk away. And there I read a few transcripts that said that Robert has said as he was walking away and he turned his back on that compound, part of him felt like what's stopping them from putting a bullet in my back. But they didn't because they were better than you. They're better than you. They walked they let him walk away. So then they Robert were goes, a fucking snitch and they let you walk. Robert immediately goes back to his boss and Robert's like, "Hey, they know. They know. Call it off." And his boss said, We'll take our chances. Oh, my God. So then they go on in there anyways. As the cattle trailers drove up, three helicopters also circled above. Remember, military assets. Koresh walked out the front doors to meet the men. Upon seeing the military assets surrounding them, three helicopters circling above, what I assume to be three cattle trailers full of men in uniform SWAT-style tactical gear, He fucking turned around and noped out of there. He went back into the house. Not the best move. I will give him that. But I do not blame him for seeing that and getting freaked the fuck out. Yeah, no, never mind. And being like, whoa, 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 no. Now, here's where we'll begin to see different stories about what happened. And to this day, the ATF claims that they never fired the first shot. And even on the final day of the siege... On that final day, day 51, they claimed that they didn't fire a single shot at all. 
I'm here to tell you that that is a lie. What is believed to have happened and what I believe is that one ATF agent got trigger happy, hand slipped, and he had an accidental discharge. Because of this, this caused other agents to jump up and the firing began. Either way, gunfire opens at the compound. The ATF starts unloading on them through the front door, which we know to be a fact because the front door was taken away. They analyzed it. It showed that bullet holes went in, but not out. And then how many days was it? And a few months after everything went down, the door, that big piece of evidence, went missing. Missing. In the ensuing battle, four ATF agents are killed, 17 are wounded, and six Davidians are dead with several more wounded, including Koresh, who was shot in the stomach and the hand. The major amount of gunfire at the beginning lasted for 45 minutes, and then the ATF began to run out of bullets. The actual standoff itself lasted for two hours before the ATF finally retreated, again, because they ran out of ammunition. Yeah. As the ATF retreated and pulled their wounded men away, the Branch Davidians held their fire and let them, because they had plenty of ammunition. What I'm going to play for you now is while this siege started happening at Waco and they started unloading, the Branch Davidians called the police. They called 911 because what else are you supposed to do? Sure. And I just want to play for you the first minute of that 911 call. 911, what's your emergency? 911, what's your emergency? There are men, 75 men around our building. Okay, just, that up. just a moment. This Lynch. Hello? 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 Yeah, this is Lieutenant Lynch. May I help you? Yeah, there are 75 men around our building and they're shooting at us in Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel? Yeah, tell them there are children and women in here and to call it off. All right, all right. Uh, hello? I hear gunfire. Oh, shit. Hello? Who is this? Hello? Call it off! Who is this? Hello? Hello? That whole call goes on for about 30 minutes. Mm. That's just the very beginning part of it. I listened to all of it, and it's incredibly distressing because they are completely taken aback. They had 45 minutes to kind of mentally prepare for the ATF coming in on them, and then they did go in and they unloaded on that house. They also, according to Branch Davidians, and because there were images showing that the roof had bullet holes in it, that the helicopters were also firing down on them. It's just, you just hear the fear in their voices. Yeah. And it's kind of terrifying. And you're hearing the sheriff on the phone as well. And he's even surprised. Yeah. Because he's been there with these people. He's like, they're, you know, they're weird, weird, kooky people over there. But they're, they seem nice. Yeah. Six hours after the ceasefire, one Davidian who had been off the compound at work. So three Davidians who had been off the compound working came back. One of them, I can't remember what happened to one of them. Another one ended up getting arrested. And then a third tried to climb the fence and they shot him. They say that he pulled a pistol on them. While he was climbing a fence? But he was shot in the back. And 
because they were there guarding, the ATF was, and they had just shot him, the Branch Davidians couldn't come out to collect his body for six days. Oh, God. Six days it sat in on that Texas fence sun. in Texas. And with that, day one of the Waco siege is finished. This lasts for another 50, 50 days. days. Right? This is where we'll break. I'll end it here. And next week, I'll dive into what happened over those 50 days that led to the deaths of 76 American citizens, 100% at the hands of the U.S. military. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. America. That's what it is. <laughs> We're trying to, you know, I'm making jokes, but it's heavy, man. It is. And it's about to get a little bit heavier. And it's just honestly some bullshit. And I will say I do not condone the things that David Koresh was doing. I don't condone the child brides. I don't like any of that. However, I do believe that as an American citizen, I should not have to fear the government showing up at my door with a tank and helicopters and mowing me down. And it's there's so many other things that get into that conversation, too, with they were in Texas in the early 90s. Texas has a standard ground law. The ATF just shows up. They start firing on the Davidians, the Texas Davidians have every stand their ground. every right to stand their ground themselves. and defend their property. Yep. And again, the, you know, if you were coming in preparing to just take care of David Koresh, why didn't you arrest him when he was off the compound? You realized there were children there. You knew this. Somebody came looking for a brawl that day. Somebody came thinking they were going to change their reputation. And guess what, Barbara? You made it worse. That's some Larry O'Leary style shit right there. It's crazy. Anyways, happy Thanksgiving. Tune in next week to hear about the more bullshit that happened. Thank you for supporting our podcast. You have all kinds of ways to do that. We have a Patreon. We have an email address. We have iTunes. We're on Spotify. Tell your friends to listen to us. And that's the spiel. That's what you get this week. Yeah, thank you so much. Happy Thanksgiving. We're grateful for you. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And this has been Dead Dead Time Stories. Thanks for listening. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Curtison. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Remy Slackman.